The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQers, TV, WXYZ people. All the boat ruckers are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. <clears throat> if you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right. You can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side of the page is Bradley's show from yesterday. So if you missed that and you'd like to catch it, you can do so up until 3 p.m. Eastern on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. At that time, he will be live in that little area on the left side of the page. On the right side of the page is where we're at, <clears throat> and yes, I went back to the old browser so it didn't catch the new image that's there, but <laughs> um, there, that's where we're at. Click on the play button and uh, blow it up on whatever device you've got there, uh, and then look for the rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner, okay? And click on that. You can join us in the chat on Rumble. We've got a lot of friends in there on Rumble this morning, and it's great to see all you guys uh, again this morning. You didn't leave me after two days of this. <laughs> So that's great. Uh, so anyway, yeah, do that. And then we are streaming live on Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. That's the channel. Please subscribe over there. And then we're also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page. And we appreciate those guys giving us a spot there as well. Right up under where we're streaming live on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. You can sign up for our email newsletter once a day between 7 and 8 Eastern is when I send it out. I don't know when it ends up in your, your email box, but that's when I send it out. Uh, be sure to sign up for that. That includes all the articles we put out that day, including the morning show archive. So all the stuff that I'm going to talk about today, if you are listening, uh, and I know a lot of people, they listen while they're working or getting ready for work or driving in or you know doing other things. They're not sitting there with a pen and paper. Some people are. But if you say, oh, you said this about that, what were you referencing? Well, when you go to the morning show archive, what you'll have is you're going to have the last for today. You're going to have the last two days shows because they're all kind of compounding on one another. Okay. And then you're going to have all of the scripture references that I'm going to. So if you say, what was that scripture passage? Go to the morning show archive. It's going to be the same name as the video. And for those on the radio, the title of today is did Jesus come in his kingdom in the first century? And um, we're, you know, we're just going to look at that. We're going to say, what does scripture say? And uh, I, you know, 
we can be taught certain things. Boy, I was taught a lot of bad. Th- let me let me let me finish out the formalities and we'll go to this. OK, <laughs> I get a, I get ahead of myself sometimes. There's a donate button at the top of Sons of Liberty. If you want to help keep us out there, you don't have to. Everything's free. Freely we've been get freely freely we receive freely we give so it doesn't cost anybody anything to hear the message to read the articles or or come here Bradley when he does his presentation doesn't cost you anything but if you want to support us there's a donate button there one time donations click on it and then we you can also become a monthly partner as a son or daughter of liberty and we appreciate you guys very very much now let, let me say this first and foremost all of us have been taught things that are wrong. But whether there's there are things, whether they're spiritual, biblical things, or whether they're other things, <clears throat> we've been taught things that's, that are wrong. And for most of us, uh, it takes us getting, for lack of a better term, hurt, insulted, uh, losing something, whatever, to draw our attention to our error, and and, and we and we correct that. Um, spiritually speaking, we're to be corrected by the Word of God, right? I mean. I, I, I've had friends that come to me and they say, well, I can't go to this church because A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? And I said, well, I said, do you have the true gospel? In other words, it's a, it's a theopocentric gospel. That just, that's a big word for it's God-centered, okay? It's a God-centered gospel. It's not anthropocentric, which is man-centered, anthropocentric, right? <laughs> It's not, it's not man-centered, it's God-centered. I said, if you have that, and if the elders at your church believe the Word of God, the Old and New Testament, is authoritative, then you have everything you need to settle any disputes that you have if you listen to one another and you believe those things. You have everything you need to correct one another. And it's important because so many people will pull out and uh, uh, from the people and not use their gift to correct them. Now, I understand there's a certain point where it's just like, okay, you people just aren't listening and I can't stay around it. I get that. But if you've got those two things in place, you should be able to sort it out. You really should be able to sort it out. If the Spirit of God is between you and the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth, He should lead you into that truth, right? So some of the things that we're talking about over the past couple of days, I know for some people it's hard to swallow. I, I get it because of what you've been taught. But you haven't seen me leave the context. I stayed in the context. And as I've told you, we may not all the time be able to say this is that or whatever, but we have to say Jesus said this and this is what he's talking about. Okay? So again, we're going to be in Matthew 24 today for those of you who are uh, listening by way of the radio. But again, I want to kind of start out Matthew 16. And though I want to try to fit this into an hour, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get all of it in. There's a lot of passages, a lot of other things that I want to I want to show you in this because I think it's important. I think if people don't grasp this, and I, I think a majority of the people who listen to the Sons of Liberty understand Jesus is our King. His law reigns supreme. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. Though our Constitution says it's the law of the land, the fact of the matter is the law of God supersedes the Constitution each and every time. Why? Because Jesus is King of Kings. He's not waiting to be that. He's not waiting to return to some little postage stamp piece of land and 
sit on a throne and, you know, do all that stuff. He is, he is ruling and reigning now. First Corinthians 15, read the, read the entire chapter. See what's going on there. He's subduing his enemies. He's been doing so since the first century. I'm one of those enemies he subdued. Many of you listening are those, are some of those enemies that he has subdued. And there's a plethora of people that he subdued by taking them out, literally, out of this life. So he's been doing that for a long time. Now, I want to take you over into, let's start with Matthew 16, just to lay a premise here. And then we'll go into Matthew 24 again. So we're going to go over there. Pretty familiar passage. And um, and here's what we read there. When Jesus came, this begins at verse 13 in Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You've got to understand the Son of Man is a term that was understood of the Messiah in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Daniel. Okay. And they said, well, some say thou art John the Baptist. Because, you know, he's been beheaded. And so you're, you're kind of, I don't know, a reincarnation of him or something like that. I guess that's what the people are thinking. Some say Elias and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. By the way, John the Baptist, Jesus said, was the Elijah promised in Malachi. That, that, that's what he said. So this is the people are saying about Jesus. You're, some say John the Baptist, some say Elias, some say Jeremiah. And he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am not? Now he moves, okay? Now he moves from what everybody else says, and he moves to, but who do you say that I am? Now that's going to be real important as we look at what we're talking about today. A lot of men say Jesus is a lot of things. But the question I have for you is, who do you say Jesus is? So here's what Peter says. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Hmm. Hmm. No man revealed that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, to you. My Father revealed it to you. You see, this is part of the gospel. That God shows mercy to whom he will have mercy. If you think you deserve mercy, you don't have it. And Peter, unworthy of mercy, was given mercy by the Father, opened his eyes, drew him to the Son. Remember, we went over this weeks ago. John chapter 6, verse 44, all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will in no us cast out, but I'll raise him up at the last day. That's what he says. And he goes on, and this is where your, your Roman Catholics will, will you know, get in here, and they'll say, oh, see, Peter's first pope. This, is not, this has nothing to do with it, and I'm going to show you how stupid such a statement is in a minute. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock... So there's some, there's some things going on in the language here. Thou art Peter. Petros, you're a, you're a little stone. You're a, you're a little rock. And upon this rock, Petra, a, a rock foundation, I will build my church, my ecclesia. 
my assembly, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If the church would only take that verse right there, the ecclesia, the people of God, if they would take that verse right there, nothing, no wicked men could stop them in this world. Do you understand that? The foundation of the church is the rock bed statement, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is what he's referencing upon this rock. He's referencing who he is. As Paul says, he is the chief cornerstone in the building. And either you will fall on that stone and be broken, or that stone's going to fall on you and it's going to grind you to powder. Okay? So that's, that's the statement that he gives them. And he says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He's going to give Peter the keys of the kingdom. See, the Pope, this is the Pope. He gave, he gave him the keys of the kingdom. No, that's not what's going on. He does give him the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Or bound, on, or bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We read that in Matthew 18, two chapters later. We went through that before as well. And that's dealing with sin in the assembly. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on, uh, on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, that comes up again in Matthew 18. Then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. I mean, can you imagine that? You were standing, you realize that you're standing in front of the one who made all things, invisible, invisible. And he says, shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> How do you not tell it? We can't help but speak the things we've seen and heard. But he tells us what? Or he tells them, don't say anything. And from that time forth, Jesus, to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised again the third day. And they don't get it. They don't get it at all. In fact, they don't get it so much that they rebuke him. Or Peter does. This alleged first pope rebukes the gospel. I want people to get that. I'm sorry, I got a cough still. I want people to get that. When Rome tells you Peter's the first pope, what's the first words out of his mouth when he's given the, going to be given the keys of the kingdom? It's a repudiation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And Jesus gave him a stern rebuke that needs to be given to the Roman Catholic dogmas and the papacy and anybody else who are antichrist, according to John, First John chapter one and, or excuse me, First John one and First, ugh, First John and Second John. This rebuke needs to go to them. He turned and said unto Peter, "Get thee behind me, Satan." Yeah, that's who's talking. Satan is one who refutes the gospel. He, re, he, 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 he rebukes those who hold the true gospel. But the Christ, Jesus, what does he do? He rebukes Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
And whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a prophet of, what is a, a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Keep that in mind. All of this is based on Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was, that's what he said. That's what I'm going to build my church on. I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. I'm the promised one. I'm going to come to fulfill it through my death, burial, resurrection. And then he says, there's some of you guys standing around that I'm talking to right now. You're not going to die till you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay? Now, keep that in mind. And we're going to go to Matthew 24. Now, again, um, I had someone, and I know they, they listen to the show because I've, I've seen their name as far as some comments and stuff. But they asked me yesterday, um, in yesterday's show, they asked me, or they said, well, Matthew 24 is talking about two different events. It's talking about, yeah, first century, but then it's also talking about somewhere off in our future. Now, we've been over this time and time again, and this, this is not broken up. There is, if you say, well, I don't see these things happening in history, blah, 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 blah. That doesn't discount the fact that the context says that they were to happen. Jesus said they were to happen. And he puts it in a time context. He said it happens in this generation. All these things are fulfilled. We went through that yesterday. And he said, why are you harping on this so much now? Because I got to tell you, we had a guest on the show. And um, before we had him on, we had a phone conversation. And he goes, yeah, he says, you know, we're, we're living in the midst of Matthew 24 and blah, blah, blah. And he wasn't talking about an application of Matthew 24. I, I'm fine with that. If you want to say, boy, I see a lot of things in Matthew 24 that I see are taking place today, even though I know they, they took place in the first century. I'm fine with that. That's, that's fine. Application is one thing. Interpretation is something else. And if you don't get that, let me explain it real quickly. Okay. Interpretation is what, and I, I hate having to do this, but at least it helps you a little bit. I'm not staying on some of these big words. There is two things that happen when you interpret texts. You either exegete the text, which means you draw out of the text the meaning, okay? Or you eisegete the text. And if you're going to look those up, you want to check them out. It's exe, E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. And instead of exe with the G-E-S-I-S, isa is E-I. Put that in front, and that's the difference. So exit, exit would be pulling out of the text what's said. Isa would be reading into the text something that isn't there. Okay? Okay. All right. Everybody clear? All right. So all we've done is let the text say what it says. So we've exegeted the text, and we went down through several of these things in Matthew 24. But I want you to see what's going on. This is just what? Several chapters from Matthew 16. We know Matthew 23, he pronounced woes, judgment, the desolation of the temple uh, there in, in uh, Matthew 23. Because, why? 
because he's talking to them because they continue to reject. And he's already told Peter there in Matthew 16, and he tells them along the way, we're going up to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen to me. They're going to kill me. They're going to do all these things. And again, he goes back to the parable of the vine dressers and how the, the owner of the vineyard keeps sending his servants, which are reminiscent of the prophets of the Old Testament. He sends them to the vine dressers, the, the guys who are overseeing the vineyard. And they keep beating them and mocking them and doing all, send them on their way. And he says, I'll, finally, he says, the owner of the vineyard says, I'll send my son. Picture of Christ. Surely they'll listen to him. And they said, hey, here's the heir. Let's go kill him. Let's take his life. And then this will all be ours. See, that's the whole purpose of Psalm 2. They want to cast off his bands. The kings of the earth, specifically brought in to reference the Romans, because it was the Roman Empire, and the rulers, those of the Jews, got together, really mortal enemies got together because they had a common enemy, and that was Christ. And they said, we'll cast the bands off of him. Jews knew who he was talking about. In fact, when he told them that parable, the Bible says they perceived he was speaking about them. So he walks out of the temple, and I want people to get this. People who keep, again, keep talking about a future temple and stuff like It's like, why? What is the purpose of that? What is the purpose of it? Well, the Bible says it'll be that. No, it doesn't say that. It really doesn't say that. In fact, when they're walking out, let's just start right there. Matthew 24, Jesus went out, departed from the temple. This is Herod's temple, the temple he just came out of with the Pharisees and woeing them or judging them and laying pronouncements of judgment upon them because of their hypocrisy, their failure to obey the law of God. But they made up all kinds of laws on their own that they couldn't keep and they, they put this heavy burden on the people. This is why Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. I'm, I'm not laying a ton of stuff on people. I gave you the moral law. Obey it. Okay? So they departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple, because they are being built at that time. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be, one, be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. <clears throat> I, I, I can't tell you how it bothers me that somebody like John MacArthur, for instance, who, you know, the Lord used him greatly in my life to teach me a lot of good things. He taught me some wrong things, too, that I had to undo. But if you read his commentary on Matthew 23, right down the line, it's great. He comes right over into Matthew 24 and immediately jettisons what the context and starts talking about things in the future. And you're like, and I'm talking about the future, our future, not the, their future. <clears throat> what does it say? What temple is he talking about? Is he talking about a temple that's going to be destroyed in the future? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the one that they're in. Check it out. See ye not all these things? What things? The things they're showing him. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Verse 1. Those things. 
See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He is talking about the temple standing at that time, not some future temple, that temple. And if you say otherwise, you are eisegeting the text. You are reading something in there that ain't there. Okay? And you need to correct yourself on it. You really do. And I'm not saying that to put people down. I, I don't do that. The reason I don't do that <clears throat> is because I know what it is to be there and have been taught that and to come out of it. Now, I may be forceful or firm and say, no, look at this right here. <laughs> okay? And it does get frustrating, but I remind myself, yep, I was once taught this error too. And I want people to see it for themselves. That's why I read the text. It seems pretty clear to me. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him. So they leave the temple. They go up to the Mount of Olives, just like they always do. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? What things? The destruction of the temple and the buildings there. And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world, or the, it should, it really should read the end of the age. Now we read out of Hebrews that Jesus comes at the end of the world or the end of the age. It's the same, it's the same language. The Messiah is to come at the, in the last days, the last days of the old covenant. He is to come at the end of their world, their age. Okay. Keep that in mind. That's very important. And they, they at least have enough sense to know the, the end of, of these things are coming because Messiah is here. I mean, they know, they know who the Messiah is. Peter just said it in Matthew 16. You're the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one, the one of Genesis chapter 3 who was to come and crush the head of the serpent. But they have a vision that the kingdom of God is coming with sight. Okay, we're going to look at that in a minute, and I'm going to show you it's not with sight. But he says, they, they ask this question. Now, keep in mind, they don't have this picture as people teach a second coming. They don't, they don't have that picture in their head. Why? Because they don't think Jesus is going to die even though he's told them that. They're kind of shocked by it. They don't even really get it the night that he, he partakes of the table with them, with the bread and the wine. You know, that blood of the new covenant that's shed for many, just like we read out of Daniel chapter 9. They still don't get it. They don't get it until he's arrested, and then all, they all flee except for John. John goes to the cross with Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. So when they're asking this, they're not asking what you might think they're asking. They're asking, they understand he's going to destroy it. What's the sign of your coming? What's the end of the age? And Jesus answered, and he tells them all these things. So we're going to skip some of these because we already, we've already covered this. <coughs> and we took time the other day to do the abomination of desolation, all this kind of stuff. And you notice, where is all this happening at? It's not happening throughout the world. It's happening in Israel. Okay? Verse 15 You'll see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Stand in the holy place. What is that? The temple. That's in, that's in Israel. Let them which be in Judea. Where is that? That's in Israel. He talks about their Sabbath. 
And all of this is one context. It's just one thing after another, after another. And then he tells you, all you people who think you get in, involved in these arguments of pre-trib, post-trib raptures and all this stuff, you've missed the whole point. The tribulation is past. The great tribulation is past. Verse 21, for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. Why? Because the wrath of God was poured out upon a disobedient people, just the way he said he would in Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26. Okay? It was the wrath of God poured out on Israel. And he says, except those days should be shortened, and there were, what was it, 1,240 days, whatever it was, three and a half years, that they were under siege until the city was just completely destroyed. And he says, except for those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved. For the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, if you're saying, well, no, Tim, that's out in the future. Where in that text is there a break from what he's talking about that's going to come on that temple and the people of the day? Where is there a break? You show it to me in the text where all of a sudden it jumps thousands of years in the future. It ain't there. In fact, Jesus is going to tell us in just a minute, and we made mention of this yesterday, that all of this is going to come on that generation. So, he goes down a little further. And again, um, Mr. Words and I, had we had a conversation yesterday. And, uh, and we look, we are brothers. We do have some differences in, in uh, certain things. But I think we came to the agreement. This is talking, if I understood correctly, this is talking about the first sentence. So I don't think we disagree on this. Uh, as far as Matthew 24. And for that, I'm, gr I'm, gr I'm grateful. And I'm grateful for all of his input that he puts in to the chat. I, I sincerely mean that. But here's the thing. You can't go outside the context and bring in preconceived notions and throw them in here and say, well, this is what this means, because the context won't let you do it. So he says this, and this is one of these application parts. Because Jesus says, then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. You know, when guys tell you they're the, they're the son of God. Now, I'm a son of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a son of God, or you're a daughter of God if you're a woman. And that's all there are, by the way, in the kingdom. There are sons and daughters. There's not trans sons and trans daughters or any of this other stuff, okay? Same thing the way it is in the physical. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. So he's telling them what's coming in the in the in this time frame, but you and I can draw application of it because we got people doing the same thing. And we're not saying, I would never say Jim Jones or a David Koresh who claimed to be the Son of God, or any of these people, when they say these things, I would never say, Well, see, that's Matthew 24. That's that's it coming to fulfillment. No, that's an application of Matthew 24. That's the difference. So just want to throw that in there. Then he says this. Wherefore, if they say unto you, behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. And then he tells them, he tells them um, how they know who is the Christ. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. He's not in the desert. He's not in a secret chamber. He's coming like the lightning out of the east and shining to the west. Okay? For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. There's going to be a lot of bloodshed, a lot of birds getting a big feast that God creates for them 
from disobedient men. And then he says this. Now, we know this tribulation that he's talking about in Matthew 24 occurred in the first century. We know it did. Don't try to tell me that, well, no, that's a tribulation. No, no, it's not. It really isn't. It's in the context. And I'm going to show you in just a second, remind people who might be new coming in of what's going on here. So he says this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall, be, shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Now, somebody again uh, had in some of the, the comments on one of the shows, well, this was a great phenomenon. Surely a ton of eyewitnesses would have wrote about this and you know all these kinds of things. Let me give you some for instances. This is from Isaiah 13, and you got the same kind of language. And remember, the Word of God, yes, it was written by numerous men over 1,500 years, okay? But they all were in complete harmony about the Christ who was coming. The, the Old Testament was complete harmony about the Christ. They were not in contradiction with one another. Why? Because it was God, the Holy Spirit, moving on them to write what they wrote, okay? So here's what, here's what Isaiah writes, 13.10. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in a pain as a woman that travaileth. Doesn't that sound just like the words Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24? Yes, it does. And they shall be amazed one another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. I mean, the day of the Lord here is talking about him bringing these, these covenant curses on the people. This is why John the Baptist and Jesus said, flee, or he said, flee the wrath to come. Flee it. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. It's the same kind of language. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogance of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Okay? That's one. I'm going to give you a couple of these. Joel chapter 2 is quoted by Peter as being fulfilled. Remember when they, the guys came out and they were filled with the, uh, with the, uh, the Spirit of God? And they were speaking in other, they were speaking in known languages. They weren't giving you this gibberish that you see on tele, televangelists and some of this wacky stuff that people get into. But they weren't um, using, as Paul talks about, a gibberish. They were actually speaking in a known language, and the Bible tells us that the people heard them in their own language. Proclaiming the wonderful works of God. How are they doing this? These guys must be drinking. <laughs> you must be full of wine, guys. You're, how, how in the, what are you doing? And they said, we're not full of wine. And they point back to Joel chapter 2. And they said, this is what's prophesied by Joel. In fact, before I go there, let me just read this. I don't like to jump around, but I want you to see these things so that they're together. So, um, ah, let me back up. I, I got too far. So, 
I went down too far. Sorry about that. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. So you had these, you had, you know, those who were from Israel, you had those around the Roman Empire, you had the Hellenistic Jews, those were the Greek-speaking Jews, you had other people who had come in, and you've got all these different languages, all these different dialects, and they spoke with other tongues, the Spirit gave them utterance. And verse 6 says, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how, he, how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. They were giving glory to God for what he had done in Christ. And Peter elaborates on that. That's when he gets up and he starts going through their history, recounting their history. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. And Peter gets up and he stands up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. It's early in the morning. You don't see people doing that. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and he quotes him. And it shall come upon, and this is out of Joel chapter 2, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And look, I will show wonders in heaven above. This is what Jesus is talking about there in Matthew 24. And signs in the earth beneath, fire, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he Ties that in with Jesus. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God, among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. In other words, this was determined before the world began. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding to it. So here's Peter quoting Joel. Now I want to go to Joel and I want you to hear this here because he talks about these things. Joel chapter 2, and I'm just going to hit this in the middle because if you, if you go watch the video, you can, you can see all of it around. But I just kind of, for the sake of time, I want to hit these here. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark and the stars shall withdraw they're shining. <clears throat> and then you have the same thing where he quoted here. This is the passage that um, 
And, and that comes before this. This is the passage that Peter quotes. This is Joel chapter 2 and verses 28 through the end of the chapter, through 32. That's what he just quoted. So <clears throat> it's pretty clear that this language has been used before. In fact, let's give a couple, just a couple of more examples before. All right, this is from Ezekiel chapter 32. And <clears throat> he says this, verse 4. Then will I leave thee upon the land, I will cast thee forth upon the open field, and will, ca and will cause all the fowls of the heaven to remain upon thee, and I will fill the beasts of the whole earth with thee. Hmm. Sounds like what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24, doesn't it? About the eagles, where the carcasses are? Yep, same thing. Same thing. And I will lay thy flesh upon the mountains, and fill the valleys with thy height. I will also water with thy blood the land wherein thou swimmest, even to the mountains and the rivers shall be full of these. I'm telling you, get yourself a copy of Josephus, read it. He's a historian. He's not a Christian, but he's an historian. He recounts it. He lived there. By the way, jo Josephus didn't have a problem understanding that Jesus was a real person, really lived, and had real disciples, and what they did. I don't know why people want to question uh, the existence of Jesus, but they're just fine with Muhammad. I, that doesn't get any, that doesn't make any sense today. Verse seven: And when I shall put thee out, I will cover the heaven; will make the stars thereof dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over thee, and set darkness upon thy land, saith the Lord God. I will also vex the hearts of many people when I shall bring the destruction among the nations into the countries which thou hast not known. So he starts talking about these things, and he, he gives this language of the stars and the moon and the sun and such. Here's another one. Psalm 75, or 97, excuse me. Clouds and darkness are round about him. When you see in the Old Testament God come in judgment, he comes in dark clouds. He comes in thick, dark clouds. It's not that people see him like, you know, you and I would see each other. That's not what he's talking about. He comes in judgment in these clouds. In fact, when you go back into uh, where the law is given at Sinai, you see the lightnings and the clouds, the dark clouds that are there as the presence of God comes to Moses and writes with his finger his law on the tablets of stone. Okay? So he says, clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. A fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlightened the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness. All the people see his glory. Okay? So he gives language like this, like mountains are, are melting. By the way, in the siege of Jerusalem, there's, there was mountains all around. Do you know what the Romans did? They leveled them. They leveled the mountains. What Israel was trusted in for their security, the Romans came in and leveled those mountains. Yep, even back in that day, they did it. All right. So let's go back over into Matthew chapter 24. Oops, I'm on 16. <clears throat> All right, so what does he say here? Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens be shaken. And then, 
Now notice the timestamps here. Jesus has already told us that, there, that this tribulation that's coming on this generation, and he's going to say that, that generation here in just a second, okay? This tribulation comes to an end. And he says this, verse 29, immediately. When is that? When is that? Oh, well, Tim, don't you know a day is, is with the Lord is a thousand years? You know, people that tell me that believe in a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ because they read it one time in Revelation chapter 20. And I just turn it on and I say, so that literal 1,000-year reign of Christ that you think is going on, that can be one day. Is that what you're saying? And they'll look at me like, no, I would never say something like that. But that's what you're arguing. You're arguing for this hermeneutic and a hermeneutic. Sorry, I, I, I don't like using the big words because I want people just to focus on this. But the hermeneutic is your, your, your method of interpretation. How you understand the text. If you're reading poetry, you, want, you interpret it a certain way. If you, if you have a historical narrative, you interpret it a certain way. If you have didactic teaching, you interpret it a certain way. If you have apocalyptic style literature, like uh, some in Daniel and also in Revelation, you interpret it a certain way. But he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. He says this happens immediately after the tribulation. The destruction of Jerusalem. That's what he's talking about. And then, verse 30, and then, if, the, if all the lights of the heavens are out, and that happens immediately after the tribulation, what comes next? And then appear shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Well, see, Tim, it's, it, it's all the earth that he's going to see. Wait a minute. Go and look up your word earth there, okay? And your strongs, you'll see it can be understood as land. And how would the Israelites have understood that? They wouldn't understand their land, their tribes that are there. And he says, and they shall see the Son of Man coming, <laughs> excuse me, excuse me, they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, where have we heard that before? Well, we heard that from Jesus when he stood before the high priest Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. And he wouldn't say anything. And they said, I'm charging you by the living God. Tell us whether these things are so. And he's, you know, you're the son of, you're the son of God. And he says, it is as you say. And from henceforth, you will, you will see me coming on the clouds with power and glory. Same thing. And again, I have to remind you, he's not saying that to us. He's saying that to them. You're going to see it. Yeah, Tim, they're going to die and he's going to resurrect them. That's not what he says. He doesn't say any of that. He says you're going to see it. Because I've already pronounced judgment upon you and your posse in Matthew 23. They already know he's pronounced it. That's why they want to get rid of him. They think if they can shut him up, then the things won't happen. Because if we kill him, he can't do any of this to us. Stupid fools is what they were. And yet... Jesus says, 
this happens. Now, I want you to pay attention in case you're saying, well, Tim, I've been taught this and I, I just can't believe that. Okay, all right, fair enough. But if you say that Jesus is Lord, that he is king, that he is the master, that his word is true and his law, then listen to what else he says. Because this one's, this one's a tough one too. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. Okay. Now I know a lot of these last day madness people, Hal Lindsey and John Hagee, and I mean John Hagee is not only a false teacher. He's ugh, anyway. Some of these other people that I I don't watch any of them anymore. I used to watch them two decades ago. Okay, I don't I don't even know some of the people. There's probably a ton more that that teach this stuff. But anyway, they'll say this fig tree. This is about modern day Israel. See, they were in 1948, so the generation that sees that is going to experience this. This is why Hal Lindsey was is he's a false prophet. He's a false prophet. What do you, 88 reasons Christ should come back in 88? Or he had all these other things saying this. Jack Van Ampey was the same thing. All this kind of stuff. These guys telling you, oh, Jesus is coming. How, how many years? I mean, we're almost 100 years past the formation of the modern state of Israel. And it's an antichrist state. It isn't God's chosen people. Don't think that at all. That's not what it is. Read Galatians. I keep telling people, read Galatians. You'll find out who the real Israel is. You'll find out who the children, the real children of Abraham are. This has nothing to do with that. Jesus inserts a parable here, okay, in the same way that you look at a fig tree, and in the wintertime, we've got a couple of them out here, they kind of spring up, and they're just, they're just limbs. But as you start getting into warmer weather, they start putting on leaves. And so Jesus had came, you remember, he came to a fig tree. He was hungry. He saw there were leaves on it, and he went looking through it, and there's no fruit on it. And he cursed the tree, and the disciples saw it. They went and did their business, and they came back by, and the tree had withered. It had died because he said, may no one eat from you ever again. So when he says this, he gives a parable to say, just like when you can see a fig tree putting on its leaves, you know summer's nigh. Just like when you can see dark clouds coming in the sky, you know it's probably about to rain. That's what he's giving, okay? And then he says this. Now that you got that parable, here's what the parable is for. So likewise, likewise of what? The fig tree putting on its leaves. Ye, when ye shall see all these things, what things? All the stuff that came before it. All of it. All of it. Know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation, and the word here is not an ethnicity thing. The idea is the people who are living at that time shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, if you've been taught all this stuff is way off in our future, this is hard to swallow. But if you're a person that says, I believe the words of Christ, even if I can't put it all together, then the Spirit of God will, will change your thinking in this. He will, if you're His.
I believe that. I really do believe that. And he says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. In fact, Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away until all be fulfilled. Well, let me ask you something, friend. Is the ceremonial law gone? Does it apply? Hmm. Stop and think about that a second. Does it apply to us, the ceremonial law? Then something's been fulfilled, hasn't it? That's right. Something's been fulfilled. And that is everything Christ came to do, including all of this stuff we read here in Matthew 24. And he talks about coming with power and great glory there in the first century. Now, if you're watching the video platforms, if you were to refresh, you'll see this picture here. You've got two guys on top of a roof. You've got an army surrounding them on the ground. But then you have these armies in the heavens. Now, I've made mention of this, but I want to read it to you. Josephus. And um, it's interesting because there are several accounts of what took place there when Jerusalem was dealt with, as Jesus says, they're to be dealt with, and that some, as we read in Matthew 16, would see him coming in his kingdom. They wouldn't taste death. They would see him coming as king. They would see him coming in his kingdom. And I want to read to you this. We're we got about a minute here left, so you guys on Red State Talk Ready, if you want to pick the rest of this up, we're going to go over a little bit today. Um, I know that's kind of a common thing here. We're not like a regular radio show. I get it. Um, I'm not Rush Limbaugh. I don't have whatever he had. <laughs> I don't have it. Okay. Um, but if you want to continue that, sonsoflibertymedia.com, top of the page there, beforeitsnews.com, top of the page, or go to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. And I'm just telling you that now so I don't have to say it real quick at the end. But this is Josephus, and I want you to hear what he says was seen in the clouds during this siege of Rome against Jerusalem, which Jesus was prophesying in, in chapter 24. In fact, when he says it's this generation, remember, as he's going to the cross, all the women are weeping because they're seeing this guy's visage has been so marred, you can't tell he's a man, the prophet said. He's been beaten. He's had the flesh stripped from his body. He is bloodied. I don't even know how he makes it up to Golgotha. He's beaten so bad. He has to have another guy carry his cross. He can't carry it. And he looks at them and he says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and your children. Why? Because their husbands, the men, had pronounced a curse on them. His blood be upon us and our children. Bradley be with you at three. Sons of Liberty Media. And um, yeah, we'll see you in the morning, bright and early, 8 a.m. with Kate Shimrani. Talk to you then. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Well, welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And I just noticed... I'm showing you my magic back there a little bit. Yeah, let me pull that up there. <laughs> All right, so I want to read you this. This comes from Josephus um, and his Wars of the Jews. And there we're going to begin here at 6... How do I read this? 6.5.2.286. <laughs> if you don't know where it is, replay the video if you... Say, how do I do that? There's a little green, there's a little bar at the bottom of the video. You just 
scrub it over. We call it scrubbing. You move it back and forth. So any of you guys who are upset at me that it takes five minutes on the radio, we have music before that, just take that and move that thing past to where we start. It's not a big deal. Quit complaining about it. It's real easy. Just move it. Not hard. Anyway, we're going to start there. I want you to listen to how he lays this out, and you tell me this doesn't sound like Matthew 24. Here's what he, here's what he writes. Now, there was then a great number of false prophets suborned by the tyrants to impose upon the people who denounced this to them that they should wait for deliverance from God. I'll just let God fight it for you. Let God take care of it for you. He's going to deliver you. How many preachers are preaching that? So he says, A great number of false prophets suborned by the tyrant to impose upon the people who denounced this to them that they should wait for deliverance from God. And this was in order to keep them from deserting, from doing what Jesus said. When you see the armies, uh, Luke 21, when you see the armies around, surround the city, know that its desolation is near, get out of the city. Desert the city. You understand? Okay. And he says, and that they might be buoyed up above fear and care by hopes. Thus were the miserable people persuaded by these deceivers. Remember, Peter and Jude, Peter warned that they were coming. Jude said they're already here. And such as belied God himself, while they did not attend nor give credit to the signs that were so evident. What signs? The ones Jesus said. I mean, I know Josephus isn't making that, but the people saw what was coming. They saw Rome was ticked off with them. They were ticked off with Rome. But they listened to the liars. They listened to the deceivers. While they did not attend nor give credit to the signs that were so evident and did so plainly foretell their future desolation, but like men infatuated without either eyes to see or minds to consider, did not regard the denunciations that God made to them. Hmm. Wow. And there's no doubt in my mind, Josephus probably has in his mind, not Jesus' words, but the words that are found in Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26. There's no doubt in my mind that's probably what he has as a Jewish guy. Thus there was a star resembling a sword which stood over the city and a comet that continued a whole year. Thus also before the Jews' rebellion and before those commotions which preceded the war, when the people were come in great crowds to the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the eighth day of the month, we call it Nisan, N-I-S-A-N, and it's, I think it's called Xanthicus. X-A-N-T-H-I-C-U-S. And at the ninth hour of the night, so great a light shone round the altar and the holy house, that's the temple, that it appeared to be bright daytime, which lasted, which light lasted for half an hour. You talk about, you want to see stuff in the sky? Well, look, he's already said there's a, there's this bright star. There's this comet that continued a whole year. The star resembled a sword. And now he's talking about uh, this light shining in the middle of the night. This light seemed to be a good sign to the unskillful, but was so interpreted by the sacred scribes as to pretend those events that followed immediately upon it. Remember, Genesis chapter 1, 
Why are the stars and the sun and moon given us? Well, they're, you've got the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. But I, and, pro and probably what I should do um, is just bring this up really quick, just so we, just so we, just so you understand what I'm talking about here. But this is something people often don't don't pick up uh, in what he says. Uh, let's see. Okay, so if we. <clears throat> I, I just want to bring this up just so people can see it. This is uh, Genesis chapter 1 about the lights. And God said, verse 14, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven, divide the day from the night, let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days and years. So it's not just for seasons, days, and years, it's for signs. This is why they constantly reference, there'll be signs this way, right? So I just want you to see that. Now, Back to where we were with uh, with Josephus. And the only reason I'm not showing you is because the text is like really small. I'm trying to almost squint to, to do this. So he says this, and he says, So these publicly declared that this signal foreshadowed or foreshowed the desolation. It's in the industry. It's the same words that Jesus is using that was coming upon them. Besides these, a few days after that feast, on the 21st day of the month, Artemisius, or Jair, J-Y-A-R, a certain prodigious, <clears throat> prodigious and incredible phenomenon appeared. Listen to this. I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable were it not related by those that saw it. And were not the events that followed it of so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals. For before sunsetting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running about among the clouds. Yeah, let me say that again. Before sunsetting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running about the clouds and surrounding of cities. Moreover, at the feast which was called Pentecost, as the priests were going by night into the inner court of the temple, as their custom was to perform their sacred ministrations, their, their synagogue of Satan stuff. Now, because Christ has already put an end to, to sacrifice. God's not pleased with any of that old covenant system after Christ. None of it. They said that in the first place, they felt a quaking and heard a great noise. And after that, they heard a sound as of a great multitude saying, let us remove hence. That's some creepy stuff, boy. My, my, the hairs on my arm are standing up. And there's all kinds of stuff I can read here. I'll have the link uh, from Tacitus, from Eusebius, from several of these you know, people on down who write about this stuff. I'll have a link to it if you want to check out some of that stuff. Back to Matthew 24. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father on. See there, Tim, that's when it's a, wait a minute. Nobody knew until it happened. Nobody knew till it happened. And he clarifies that. Look at what he says. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. We talked about this yesterday. 
has nothing to do with giants, has nothing to do with the Jewish fables and endless genealogies of angels mating with humans. It doesn't have anything to do with that. He tells you what the days of Noah are like. Verse 38, for as in the days that were before the flood, what is that? That is the antediluvian world. That is the days of Noah. They were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not. Check that out. Knew not. They didn't know the day it was coming or the hour. God did. Noah didn't even know. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And you know what? Peter describes something like that too. In 2 Peter. So understand something. You want to know what the days of Noah are like? They're just like any other day. Any other day. And then judgment comes. It comes like that. People living, maybe occasionally they walk by and they said, oh, there's that crazy old man. He's been working on that, that boat for 120 years and now he's got all these animals. What's he going to do with those? We're in the middle of the desert for crying out loud. It's not even, we don't, we don't even know what rain is. And there he is out there, old Noah, whoop-hoo, building his ark. And then Noah went in. The animals were in, his family were in, and God shuts the door, ka And the rain starts to fall, and the fountains of the deep open up, the earth splits, and all the water comes out of it. I can't even imagine the horror that caught some of these people. And they're destroyed. The days of Noah, just like ours, just living our life, marrying, giving to marriage, eating, drinking, being merry, and then judgment. I'm sure there were people running around just like the scriptures say. There's peace, peace, and there's no peace between them and God. They've deceived themselves. Let me ask you something. Have you deceived yourself into thinking there's peace between you and the king when there is no peace? Do you think because you recite something or you hold to a certain doctrine or whatever that there's peace? Do you think because you do, quote unquote, good things that there's peace? Peace only comes as you bow to the king, as you submit yourself unto him in his kingdom. I mean, must I go back? Yes, I must, because... I want to conclude with a couple of other verses just to show you what I'm saying. Matthew 16. There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, is I, I ask this question <laughs> like I asked the question from Matthew 24 yesterday. Well, is Jesus lying about all those things coming upon that generation? I don't think he is. Is he lying when he says some of those who are standing with him in Matthew 16 would see him coming in his kingdom. Yes, he was not lying. He was telling the truth. So, what is this kingdom that you're talking about? What, what, is, what is this thing? What, 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 what's going on here? 
Well, you remember John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same kind of time, time, time stamp as what you find in Revelation 1, 1, 1, 3. Same thing, it's at hand, it's shortly come to pass. That's being spoken of by Jesus. That's being spoken of by the apostles. And in Luke 10, we read this. <clears throat> and into who, what, whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, don't play the martyr. Don't go tick people off. If they don't receive the message, get out of there. Go your ways out into the streets of the same and say, Even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. And then he says this, But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in the day for Sodom than for that city. Where are they going? They are not going out to the Gentiles yet. They are in Israel. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of the Lord where God judged them in closing out the old covenant that the new covenant might be established. And there might not be any excuse for why you're stuck in an old covenant system. And yet we find people today who call themselves Jews who are not, who are of the synagogue of Satan, trying to say, trying to rebuild temples and institute animal sacrifices and institute Noahide laws and all this other stuff, but they will not bow the knee to the King Jesus. They won't do it. And I want to tell you, it's more tolerable, not only then for Sodom, but for those people when they meet the king. Than for that city. And then he says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. Another one concerning the kingdom. And again, Jesus, either we believe Jesus' words or we don't. Luke chapter 17, verse 18 and following. There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Remember um, what had happened there. And he said unto them, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, listen, listen to what they're asking. The Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and, them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not, 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 with observation. It's not what you think it is. And then he says, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for, listen, behold, listen, behold, look, the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. And he said unto the disciples, now listen, if there's a kingdom of God within you, that means there has to be a king, right? Mm-hmm. And he said unto the disciples, the days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. You're going to want to see me again here, and you're not going to see it. And they shall say to you, see here, see there, go not after them. It's almost like he's talking about you know, what he had in Matthew 20, uh, 24. Nor follow them, for as the lightning that lighteth out of the one part of heaven shineth into the other part of the heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. I, that's, that's incredible. 
especially if you've been taught this other stuff. And Jesus is saying, there in the first sentence, the kingdom of God is within you. Part of what I wanted to bring was, now I, I'm going to go to a catechism. I, I like to stay in the scripture, but I want to go to this catechism because it references Christ's office. Okay? And this is from the Westminster. This is the, the larger catechism. And I'll have a link up if you, want to, if you want to check it out. But this is what they would used to do. And remember, catechism is not an unbiblical thing. It comes from the Greek word katecheo. Paul uses it. Uh, you can see it used in the Old Testament, for instance, when they're partaking of the Passover. And God says, when your children are partaking of this with you, and they ask you, why is this going on? So they ask a question, the children do, and then the father gives an answer. That's what catechism is. It's just a question and answer. You know, why is this going on? And um, I, I think I've seen some people in the in the chat, and they'll say things like, um, uh, gosh, what am I trying to say? They'll, they'll say things like, well, I, I have questions. Yeah, I had questions. This is how you learn. You ask questions, right? And if people, if people are mad at you for asking questions and you're, you're genuinely trying to wrap your head around something, understand something, comply with it uh, from what the scripture says, then they should be apt to teach or they shouldn't be promoting themselves as such. So first, the catechism deals with Jesus as a mediator. Now, I think this is important because he is the high priest. He's the one who took over all this priesthood stuff. He's the fulfillment of the priesthood, of the high priest and of the temple. One who is greater than the temple stands before you. And so here's what we hear. What was it requisite that the mediator should be God? It was requisite that the mediator should be God, that he might sustain and keep the human nature from sinking under the infinite wrath of God and the power of death, give worth and efficacy to his sufferings, obedience, intercession, and to satisfy God's justice. Procure his favor, purchase a peculiar people, give his spirit to them, conquer all their enemies, and bring them to everlasting salvation. And there's, there's a plethora of scriptures that, that are linked off of this that you can, you can look for why the answer is true. Why was it requisite that the mediator should be a man? Because Jesus is the God-man. It was requisite that the mediator should be man, that he might advance our nature, perform obedience to the law, suffer and make intercession for us in our nature. That's why a high priest couldn't be a hyena or a, a chimpanzee or something. He had to be a man. He couldn't be an angel either. He had to be a man. Have a fellow feeling of our infirmities that we might receive the adoption of sons and have comfort and access with boldness into the throne of grace. Why was it requisite that the mediator should be God and man and one person? It was requisite that the mediator who was to reconcile God and man should himself be both God and man and this in one person, that the proper works of each nature might be accepted of God for us and relied on us, on by us, as the work of the whole person. He then says, why was the mediator called Jesus? Our mediator was called Jesus. Why? Matthew 121, because he saveth his people from their sins. Why was our mediator called Christ? Our mediator was called Christ because he was anointed with the Holy Ghost above measure and so set apart and fully furnished with all authority and ability to execute the offices of, and we're gonna, I'm going to read these real quickly, prophet, priest, and king of his church. 
in the estate both of his humiliation and exaltation. That means in his humiliation is his life here while he was on this earth in his ministry, and his exaltation as King of kings and Lord of lords when he ascended back to the Father. So, how does Christ execute the office of a prophet? Christ executed the office of a prophet in his revealing to the church in all ages by his spirit and word in diverse ways of administration, the whole will of God, and all things concerning their edification and salvation. How doth Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executed the office of a priest and is once offering himself a sacrifice without spot to God to be a reconciliation for the sins of his people and in making continual intercession for that's why he lives to make to continually make intercession for us. He is our high priest. And then it says this. How does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executed the office of a king and calling out of the world a people to himself, giving them officers, laws, and censures, not man's laws, giving them his laws and censures by which he visibly governs them. In bestowing saving grace upon his elect, rewarding their obedience and correcting them for their sins, preserving and supporting them under all their temptations and sufferings, restraining and overcoming all their enemies, and powerfully ordering all things for his glory and their good, and also in taking vengeance on the rest who know not God and obey not the gospel. Did Christ's kingdom come in the first century? Yes, it did. Was he crowned king? In the first century, yes, he was. Was he ruling and reigning and subduing all of his enemies beginning in the first century? Yes, he was. If that is true, then I ask the listener, are you subject to the king? Are you subject to his law above everything else? Or are you those who continue to think stuff like, oh, the law doesn't matter, it's done away with? Oh, it doesn't matter if we obey Christ or not. Oh, it doesn't matter if I sin or not. Sin is transgression of the law, John says. The breaking of his law. It's a crime against God. If you think that way, you have not been born again, you've not met the king, you've, you've not been in his kingdom in that fashion. In the fullness of him as king, you're submitting to him. And somebody asked um, real quickly, I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but somebody asked something similar on one of the shows. They said, well, why would you talk about the fear of the Lord? Why, why would you tell people that you love God, but that you're, you're telling them you have to fear him? Well, let me ask you something. How many of you had dads that when you did something that was really bad, they got out a belt on you. Or they made you go pick your own hickory switch. That's, that's what my mom and dad used to do. And I'd come in, I'd, I was a smart aleck. I'd come in like, you know, a little stick like this. It was little as I could get. You couldn't even get it in your hand. And I thought it was cute and funny until my mom went out and grabbed one. And it would leave some stripes on the back of your leg. Wasn't thick 
It was just long. It's got a good swing, a good stain. Did I love my mom and dad? It, if the truth's known, no, I hated them. I was rebellious. But I loved them for what they could provide for me and for how they treated me and things. I grew to love them. But that was a discipline they had for me because they loved me. Did I fear the spankings? You bet your bottom dollar. And I feared making them mad. I feared making them angry. And they're my parents. They're my adopted parents, but they treat me like I am theirs. This is the picture what I see in Ephesians 1. I understand it very clearly. What God does for people when he adopts them into their family. They become his heirs. They take his name. All that is his is theirs. My parents did that for me. I feared hurting them, rebelling against them. Even though I did it, I feared, I feared it. Because these were people who loved me. Why do the people of God fear God? Oh, because he is awesome. And I don't mean that in a term of, hey, dude, he's, that's awesome. You did a skateboard trick. No, I'm talking about he is awesome and terrible and fearful and holy. And if people could get that in their minds, he is not Morgan Freeman in a movie playing God. He's not George Burns playing God. See, that's man. That's how man perceives God. Some grandfatherly old guy who just takes everybody the way they are and leaves them the way they are and loves them just the way they are. But he doesn't love them enough to discipline and correct them and change their will and their actions and their thinking and the intents of their hearts and everything about them. Paul says we become a new creation. If you've never experienced that, this message is for you. Bow the knee to Christ. He is the only king. All others are imposters. All men that claim that they have authority and they don't go to the word of God and that word of God is their authority over them as well are imposters. They are false Christs, if you will. They're false Christs. Are you under the real Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, or are you under the false Christ? Only you can answer that, and I pray God open your eyes that you may be able to see the kingdom of God. Bradley be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com, and we'll be back in the morning. I don't know what we're going to be talking about just yet. Kate be with us at 8 a.m., so we'll give this a little rest. Maybe we'll pick some of it up next week. I don't know, but uh, she'll be with us at 8 a.m., so catch us then. See you then.